0: And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how AllBirds redefines comfort. Visit allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A L L B I R D S dot com code SUPER24.
1: Baseball, basketball, and football.
0: This is True Sports, a True Chat original podcast with your host, Caleb Spinner. The Ohio State Buckeyes are 2-0 after defeating the Nebraska Cornhuskers in Big Ten Week 1 and the Penn State Nittany Lions last Saturday. With a soft remaining schedule in which Ohio State's lowest chance to win is 92.7%, chances are the Buckeyes will find themselves 8-0 at the end of their 2020 regular season preparing for the college football playoff. Today on True Sports, I'm joined by Matt Goldman. Matt is a journalism major at The Ohio State University, as am I, and he's a writer for The Lantern, Ohio State's student-run newspaper. Matt and I will discuss Ohio State's remaining regular season games and talk about whether or not the Buckeyes can win a national championship. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the show, Matt. How are you doing, Caleb? Thanks for having me today. Doing absolutely fantastic. We're 2-0 right now, so you got to celebrate. You can feel the vibe on campus. Uh, you can't argue. I mean, looking at all these ESPN uh, stats on our remaining schedule, 8-0 is very, very possible.
1: Yeah, as Chris Fowler uh, mentioned in the broadcast, the FPI ESPN's power index to win the game, Ohio State's lowest chance was 87% against School Up North. 87%? I mean, come on. that yeah. That's not that much. I think this Ohio State team is... Very good, but I think there's a few corks that they need to figure out still.
0: Those numbers have changed since then, and we're going to be looking at ESPN's FPI, the Football Power Index, as we go ahead in the show. But as we always do during these COVID episodes, the latest news from the sporting world: the LA Dodgers win the 2020 MLB World Series. The Los Angeles Dodgers won the 2020 MLB World Series last week, defeating the Tampa Bay Rays three to one in Game Six. This is the first World Series win for the Dodgers since they beat the Oakland A's, long name Oakland Athletics, in 1988. JD, what were some of the things the Dodgers did right in this World Series?
2: Well, I think a lot of people knew when they brought in Mookie Betts that they were shooting for a World Series. It seems like every year the Dodgers are always in contention uh, for the World Series and they you know, kind of disappoint every single year. So if you're a Dodgers fan, it's really nice to kind of have that, uh, that off your shoulders, uh, finally getting that World Series victory. Um, and, and, you know, they did it with a lot of offense, you know, I will admit Clayton Kershaw, uh, also for the first time in his career looked really good, uh, in the playoffs and you see what happens when he looked good. The Dodgers, they play good. I I mean, Clayton Kershaw was absolutely lights out, uh, got himself a world series, which a lot of people think that kind of clinches his legacy. Now, um, Mookie Betts was, uh, I mean, off the charts. I mean, that's what you brought him in to do. That's what you paid him all that money to do was hit bombs and, and play solid defense. And he did that. Uh, you know, Corey Seager, another guy, um, you know, the Dodgers just have a lot of stars on that team and they're they're paying a lot of money for all those stars. So you expect them to be in the World Series conversation every single year. So if those players just play like they're expected to, you know, they should be winning World Series in the, in the near future. A lot of people think that the Yankees should be doing the same thing and the Red Sox of old should be doing the same thing. So you know th- those teams are expected to be there. You don't expect a team like the Tampa Bay Rays to be there. They have one of the lowest payrolls in um, all of them MLB baseball, and they've had they've had that for last I, I for as many years as I can remember. Um, so you know it was just a good thing for the race to get there. I think we're going to see exciting things from them in the future.
0: How bad do you think Massachusetts and more specifically the city of Boston feels right now? Not only does not only is Tom Brady gone. If you're a Patriots fan. But then you just had to watch Mookie Betts show up and show out in the World Series and win L.A. a a title. That's that's got to hurt. I would imagine this is the second major sports championship. The city of Los Angeles has won in 2020 after the Lakers won the 2020 NBA Finals against the Miami Heat. Which championship, J.D., the Lakers winning the NBA Finals or the or the Dodgers winning the MLB World Series, do you think was more important for the city?
2: I, I think that's a good question. You know, I, I think that the Lakers being the historic franchise that they are, um, it was probably it meant more to the city for that to happen uh, than anything else. But, you know, Los Angeles and basketball, they had two really good teams that either of them could have won the the championship, the Lakers and the Clippers. Um, so, you know, I think that they were kind of just like they were with the Dodgers. They were kind of expected to win. um Yeah, they're expected to win the NBA championship. So, but it's still, it's that history thing. You know, the Lakers haven't won it in quite a while either. Um, and you know, with how historic that they are, you know, you just kind of expect them to be in the conversation every year. And in recent years, they just haven't, they've been terrible. So I I think to see the Lakers back on top is good for that city. Um, because that, I mean, that's the, that's the team that's been prominent in the LA for such a long time with the stars that they have brought through there. And now they have two new ones in LeBron. And AD, uh, But don't get me wrong. They still love that Dodgers World Series now. And they're looking at the Rams like, come on, L.A.
0: Like, can we get three championships now? Not to mention the Kings, too, in NHL hockey. Um, I would argue that I think the Dodgers is the more important one because the Lakers had just such a stacked team this year. It was almost expected that they would win the finals. The Dodgers have been so close in recent years, as you pointed out. They've been so close to making it to the World Series these past few years. And it's just never paid off. It's been disappointment, 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 disappointment. And now it finally paid off. I'd say that one's more more exciting and more important for the franchise. But like you said, either one, nobody's going to argue with the city having a major sports championship, much less two of them. You mentioned a few times in the show that you believe there will be forever an asterisk associated with the NBA championship this year because the NBA bubble removed several important factors that normally sway the final series. Is there an asterisk on the World Series this year?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, and I think it's a shame, um, but I, I do think that um, the Dodgers will never be considered a legit um, World Series champion. Uh, there was just so many games that were wiped out and who knows what happens, um, you know, in those games. You know, baseball is definitely, you know, is definitely a marathon, especially when it comes to professional sports. And when you go through slumps in baseball, you know, it's such a mental game that you can go through slumps for 30, 40 games, you know. So who knows what happens you know the Dodgers play 162 games and you know their hitters aren't hitting anything going into the playoffs and they lose first round you know there's a lot of what ifs that just that just was completely erased um, when they added the shortened season. So I, I think this one is more legit um than the NBA championship, but I, I don't think it's by much. so i still I still find uh, that the Dodgers will have an asterisk by their name, which is unfortunate, but I think it will happen
0: it'll be it'll be difficult. It's difficult to say whether the MLB one has an asterisk though because like you said though, it is a shortened season playing uh, a little under a, a third of the games that you normally would in a regular season. But at the same time, you're still travel. The team still traveled, which I think was a big thing that you said when you were talking about the NBA bubble is that every team was in the same spot. So the home field advantage was taken away. Now, granted, there aren't any fans in the stands, but still that bus ride, that plane ride can get you a little bit of nausea. Uh, can get you a little bit of nausea coming off the plane and can affect your uh, performance in the next day in the next game. So I'd say this one has a little more of a shot at being a legitimate championship, uh, at least using the same criteria that you use to justify the asterisk uh, in the NBA bubble. But I do still agree. This isn't the same yet. Um, now this cha- now, that doesn't mean just by putting an asterisk by it, that doesn't mean that this champion, you know, doesn't count or, um, will not be looked at in history as still a World Series for the Dodgers or an NBA championship for the Los Angeles Lakers. That just means that this will not be associated with the normal championship. This will be forever looked at as a different year in those sports. Chances are both the Lakers and the Dodgers will not repeat titles next year. They will not share a championship year again. Which LA team, the Lakers or the Dodgers, has the better chance of repeating championships?
2: I, I think it has to be the Lakers. I mean, any team that has LeBron on is automatically contenders. Um, and then you had a guy like AD and a couple of guys coming off the bench who can really shoot well. As long as they stay healthy, I don't see anybody in the NBA who can really give them a run. Um, at least in the MLB, there always seems to, I mean, if they do play a full 162 games, anything can happen in there. There's they're just longer. You know more of a chance for stuff to happen, um, and you don't see super teams in the MLB quite like you see um, in the NBA. So I think the Lakers have a better chance, but that doesn't mean sleep on the Dodgers. I still think that the Dodgers uh, will be favorites to go back-to-back.
0: Now moving on to our main discussion of the episode, Ohio State remains perfect through Week 2. The Ohio State Buckeyes improved to 2-0 after defeating the Penn State Nittany Lions on Saturday by a score of 38-25. to With this win, the Buckeyes have passed what many believe to be their only scheduled challenge of the season, as the Buckeyes are favored to win each of their remaining games by massive margins. Matt, what were your thoughts on the Ohio State-Penn State game? Well, I think
1: the first takeaway was our offensive line does not get the credit it deserves for giving Justin Fields the numbers he has. Justin Fields put up four touchdowns, obviously a fantastic player. I think he's obviously a Heisman favorite, but that offensive line, my takeaway that was my biggest takeaway that... They are the best in America. I mean, you look from center Josh Myers, our two guards, Wyatt Davis, who's a projected first rounder, to our tackles who have led up zero sacks this year. That is a special group of players that this Ohio State team has a great chance of going to a Big Ten championship with. And I think it's going to put Justin Fields and our weapons in a great position.
0: One of the biggest improvements I saw in week two compared to week one was that run defense that kind of got torn up in the first quarter and maybe a half. I won't say necessarily the first half entirely because we got back on track towards the latter half of the second quarter. But that run defense, especially up front, was a little hesitant in my mind. And then in week two, we shut down Penn State's running game. Now, in the trade-off the secondary looked a bit weak. I mean, uh, Clifford was able to find a few open receivers on those crossing routes and in the slot and so on and so forth. So I think that was the biggest scare for me. But what improvements did you see from the Buckeyes since week one?
1: Well, just touching upon what you said about the secondary, Ohio State just came out with their uh, players of the game, or their champions, they call it, and none of the secondary players except their safeties and none of the cornerbacks were named. So that was interesting. But improvements from this week's game compared to the Nebraska game was Defensive line, I think Tommy Togiai, three sacks, who is the defensive player of the week in the Big Ten, and Haskell Garrett coming out there. I think the front seven is so underrated compared to the rest of the front sevens in America with Alabama, Clemson. There's so many good defenses out there that people aren't giving credit to. I think Ohio State has a front seven that is on the upside right now and coming last week from Nebraska where they didn't look amazing, and I guess with the run game. It's starting to get better, and I think Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach, is starting to say, let's keep it going.
0: I know you and I are sports analysts and and broadcasters through high school and now at Ohio State, but you didn't have to be a sports-minded person to see that every single drop back for Clifford, it seemed, that the Ohio State front seven was dropping pressure. That's definitely a huge thing and an excitement to see, not only going into the remaining of the season, but like we're about to talk about on the show, potentially going into the college football playoff even. It's good to see that front seven pressuring. That was definitely a highlight for that game. Was the was the pressure that we put on the Penn State quarterback and the running backs? Of course, we had that one uh, double tackle on the handoff in the backfield. What were some of the other highlights you saw? Not only through week two, but also in week one.
1: I think the tight ends for Ohio State. We got three tight ends involved, which is not typical for Ohio State to usually do that. I'm mean, you look in the past, they usually used one to two tight ends. But Jake Hausman, Luke Farrell and Jeremy Ruckert were all playing. Jeremy Ruckert scored two touchdowns. Last time an Ohio State tight end scored two touchdowns was 2016. That's that's astonishing. I think that's a big improvement that we're not able just to use our running backs and our wide receivers. We're
0: now able to use a tight end and have that thread. So I think that's a big improvement as well. When we come back, we look at Ohio State's remaining opponents and discuss the possibility of the Buckeyes finishing the regular season undefeated. Keep it here on True Sports and we'll be right back. This is True Sports, a True Chat original podcast with your host, Caleb Spinner. The Ohio State Buckeyes are currently sitting undefeated after two weeks of Big Ten football, having defeated the Nebraska Cornhuskers and the Penn State Nittany Lions. With six games left in the 2020 Big Ten regular season, can Ohio State finish with a flawless record? This Saturday, the Buckeyes play the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, who are currently 1-1. This game will be followed by the Maryland Terrapins, also 1-1, on November 14th, and the Indiana Hoosiers, 2-0, on November 21st. Ohio State is heavily favored to win all three of those games with a cumulative average percent that's taking one percentage of all three of those, adding them, dividing it by three, gives you 96.8% for the Buckeyes. Indiana has the highest percentage to beat those Buckeyes, at a minuscule 7.3. Do you foresee any Ohio State slip-ups through the series of games? Use the crystal ball I gave you, predict it for me.
1: I can't see any game going against the Buckeyes. I Even the School of North, I went to this game, spoke to my dad, who's a big Buckeye fan. I was more scared about this Penn State game than I will be for any other game of the season. Maybe the Big Ten Championship, depending on the opponent, which most likely will end up being Wisconsin, hopefully in their season, comes back. But... I just don't see anything happening. I think Indiana will give them a little trouble in the beginning because respect to Tom Allen and that crew. That is a fantastic team he's put together with Bo Penex. And I just, again, what you said with the cumulative percentage of 96, I believe you said 96. it was. 96.8, yes. This Ohio State team is looking to just stomp everybody. And Ryan Day is looking to make a statement to this country.
0: And frankly, he should. I mean, it's it's not dogging any of these other programs by saying they're not favored to win. That's just, it's that's, that's complimenting Ohio state's program. That's, that's telling the facts what it is. I think a lot of people shared our opinion of the Nittany lions were going to be one of the only schedules, if not the only schedule um, on this Ohio state schedule, since we don't have um, Wisconsin, who I think is, is, is you and I share our opinion is probably the best team in that, in that West division and Minnesota, who going into the season, a lot of people thought was going to be better than they were that first week against Michigan kind of proved that wrong. But the Big Ten arguably has – it's very top-heavy. You've got Ohio State, Penn State. Michigan's falling out of there. Wisconsin's coming up in there. Indiana's kind of teetering. That program is really good, and it's getting to be really good. But they're not quite in that top bit yet. But re- And then everybody else is just, you know, at the bottom. So it's tough to get a heavy schedule. And this is why I think you don't see a lot of Big Ten teams – usually in the college football playoff, the four teams uh, that are selected. One of the big things that we've talked about, JD and I have on the show uh, many times, is how how much strength of schedule is looked at when determining those four teams. The Big Ten strength of schedule, even if Ohio State has Penn State and Wisconsin on their schedule, it's still not great compared to what the SEC has to go through or even the ACC uh, now. So I think that's something to look for. Now, this season is going to be different. Strength of schedule probably will not have the weight that it does going into the CFP since every team has to play within their schedule right now, minus a few out-of-conference games. But looking at that, there was only one big challenge, and Ohio State passed it with flying colors in my mind.
1: No, I totally agree with that. And again, with the strength of schedule thing, I agree with you that I just don't see them taking that into consideration this year. I think what the committee is going to look at is, who is the best-looking football team? Who's the most polished, and they're going to choose them. And that's why I, I can't imagine a playoff without Ohio State in it this year. It unless there is unless they lose, which I don't believe they will, and I don't believe you think that is well. I just don't see them not including them this year because this team is just so polished, minus the secondary. That that that's their own issues that they can figure out. And Coach Coombs, he knows what he's doing. He went to the NFL and came back. I think this team has so much potential to it. But at the same time, I agree with you. I do actually disagree about the ACC and the strength schedule. I don't think they're as strong as the Big Ten is this year. I think it's Clemson. Everybody else is to the bottom, in my opinion. Look what just happened in North Carolina. Virginia they lost to? Virginia? I mean, come on. I don't think Miami is what they are. I think Ohio State was – I think Wisconsin is – very close to Ohio State's tip. I know they don't recruit the guys that Ohio State recruits because obviously Ohio State recruits the best in America. And Wisconsin more is a three-star type of place where they develop and they turn out well. But I think the Big Ten is going to be looked at as the second best conference in America this year.
0: I can see that. I I mean, I'd, I'd argue Notre Dame is is another highlight of the ACC. I but, but I get you. Yeah, yeah, but I get you. It's It's whether they're there to stay or not. Um, that's another positive to look toward, Another um, undefeated as of right now. Now Clemson and Notre Dame will play each other this week, so you know one of those is not gonna is not gonna be undefeated for much longer than that. Um, as I mentioned a few moments ago, though, the Hoosiers have the greatest chance out of the three teams, and actually the entire remaining schedule, believe it or not, uh, to beat the Buckeyes, possibly because they upset the then number eight Nittany Lions of Penn State in Week One while they themselves were unranked should indiana's performance against penn state scare ohio state fans
2: no i
1: really don't think it should i think penn state had their own issues to solve that were different issues than the ohio state game i think the ohio state game they just couldn't stop that defensive line i think that's what ruined clifford's chances of being looking decent in that game clifford's a great quarterback so i think that was the offensive line who made him look bad i think the first game it was just a whole king caboodle of the first game jitters getting out there no spring practice Having that opportunity to get get to know your plays because also think about Penn State, No journey Brown could begin the season, his the starting running back. their second stringers out before the game even starts. So Devin Ford has to get in there and the third stringer is running the ball. That's not ideal for any team to start with their third stringer. Like think about Ohio State to start with steel Chambers at the ball right now. That would not be amazing for us.
0: Uh, I argue as we talked about last week, talking about the uh, Penn State, Indiana conclusion. That call, I think you could argue that he was out. I, th- I think I, I don't know if you agree with that. I don't know if I agree with that. I would have liked a few more camera angles before I have a definitive opinion on it. But regardless, I think that call came down, and that's what gave it to Indiana. I think if that game goes on any longer in that overtime series, I think Penn State comes out on top. You can you credit that? I think before the Ohio State game, you could credit that to, The first game jitters, just like you can credit the first quarter and maybe a half of the Ohio State-Nebraska game to first game jitters, not having as much time to prepare as you usually do. The back and forth of Big Ten football is canceled. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Um, You can can credit the uncertainty of this year as why they let Indiana fight on them so hard. I think Penn State wins that game if it's a normal overtime with no questionable slash controversial calls like that.
1: To that call, I don't believe he scored the touchdown. I think the call in the field is obviously going to give, give the advantage, or the upper leg to the replay booth, because we've seen that in the past with NFL, even college. Whatever the call in the field is, that has the upper hand right away because they trust the referees. They want to say what they saw in the field. So I think because the referee signaled touchdown, I think that's what ended up giving Indiana the win. But to your point that if it went on any longer, I think Penn State would have won because at the end of the day, it's still Penn State football. They still have the talent. They still have Pat Fryermuth, the best tight end in the country, who is going to be an NFL stud. I mean, look at the past talent they've had. They lost Micah Parsons to who was out this year. Think about if Micah Parsons was in the game. I don't believe Indiana would have had a greater chance of even gaining to overtime if Micah Parsons was there. Cause I think he's the be- he was the best linebacker coming into the country this year for this Penn State team. So I think if it went on any longer, Penn State would have ended up winning. But this Indiana team didn't really scare me for Ohio State fans, at least.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Now, if this is if that uh, Indiana Penn State game wasn't a call for for pylon cams in college football, I don't know what is. That pylon cam close to to where he put the ball would tell you one hundred percent, without a doubt, whether the point of that ball breaks the end zone. After those three games, come contests against the Illinois Fighting Illini, who are zero and two, the Michigan State Spartans, one and one, and finally the regular season conclusion against the blank Wolverines, one and one, that team up north, TTUN, whatever you want to call them, just don't say the M word. What do you see happening in these final three games? Is it going to be more of the same dominance we've seen from Ohio State? Or is it going to be more resembling of that quarter and a half against Nebraska with a few slip ups that could potentially put these teams uh, ahead against the Buckeyes?
1: So I think it's going to be a mix. I think it's going to be a push. You're in that stretch of, you know, tough games because Michigan State, Mel Tucker, yeah, he's in his first year and they're a math team, but they just beat Michigan. And I know I wasn't supposed to say the M word, but I just said it because they are at the end of the day, still a team and they're still pretty decent. They got some talent with Jim Harbaugh, but I think it's going to be a push, but I can see where Ohio State has a letdown of where they're down at one point. I don't think it's going to be Nebraska level, but I don't think it's going to be so dominant because, you know, during that, during that time of the season, like you see with all teams, like. There's a little slowdown sometimes, but I think with Ryan Day, the game of the year, December 12th, it won't be close. I mean, I don't know if you remember in the conference calls during like when COVID was, we had no idea if the season was happening. Harbaugh called out that Ohio State was having some uh, on-field practices. And then uh, Ryan Day was said, you worry about your team, I'll worry about mine. And then he told his players, we're going to hang a hundred on them. I I still think he is so fired up because of that. I think just the level that Ohio State has on Michigan about just the rivalry and the way they take it, it it's not going to be the same. I think Ohio State's going to keep pushing. So I guess keep pushing is the way I'm going to put it. As
0: Ryan Day strikes me as, and and from what I've read with him and from the interviews I've heard from him, um, he strikes me as a relatively nice guy who, if you rub him the wrong way, will genuinely forgive you. Unless you're Jim Harbaugh, then I think he's going to hold on to that. If he hasn't put. Every quote that Jim Harbaugh has said on the whiteboard in the team locker room by now, I, I it's only a matter of time before he does. I always think there's enough motivation for Ohio State to beat you know that team up north, especially now with this year after those comments. And frankly, looking at this Ohio State team through weeks one and two, it's possible they put up 100 on them. Uh, and, and looking at how the Wolverines have, have played through weeks one and two, very inconsistent. We've seen two different teams so far through only two weeks. In which week do you think we saw the real Wolverine team, or do you think we have yet to see them?
1: That's a really good question because I honestly think we saw their true colors week one. I know they look good. I think Michigan's still a legit team. They still recruit the same talent Ohio State does, don't get me wrong. I grew up 30 minutes from where Jordan Morant, who is the number one player in New Jersey, is now at Michigan. He's a top dog. Ohio State recruited him, Penn State recruited him that guy's legit still. I think there's legit talent all over. I think that's still a legit team with legit talent. Jim Harbaugh still a great coach. He might not be a college coach. I think he could be an NFL coach. Look what he did with Colin Kaepernick leading them to the Super Bowl. But I think this Michigan team needs to fix a few issues. Josh Gaddis is a great offensive coordinator coming from Alabama. So we did see the real Michigan team. I think, yeah, they got a blocked pun in the first play of the game or first drive, which was a little embarrassing because that should never happen. But I think we saw the real Michigan team. I think they they were just a little high on their horses coming to this Michigan State game. So that's what happened.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I can see what you're thinking of. I personally would wait until week three until I know. Obviously, that's taking the easy answer out and not picking week one or two. But I mean, you really can't. I mean, there's they're so polar opposite of each other. You know, week one, you win, you beat the Minnesota Golden Gophers 49-24. And then week two, you lose to Michigan State, the Spartans 27 to 24. What's the real team here, guys? You can't have this inconsistency. If you want to be a, a big dog, not just in the in the Big Ten, but also in college football, we've got to see some consistency out of you here. Now, whether that's, you know, you can have like different weaknesses week to week. You can have different things to focus on after each game, but you can't blow somebody out, then lose a tight game, then potentially get blown out again. Then, you know, it can't be a back and forth kind of deal if you want to cement yourself in the legacy of the Big Ten. True Chat's mission is to educate people by providing honest, open, and respectful conversations. If you think we're not upholding this mission at any time during today's episode, email your grievance to ethics at truechat.org. That's E-T-H-I-C-S at truechat.org. Stay in touch with True Sports by visiting our website, truesportspodcast.com, and by following the show on Twitter and Instagram at truesports underscore pod. If the Buckeyes go undefeated in their final six games as they're projected to, Then Ohio State will find themselves in the college football playoff once again. There they'll face potentially the biggest challenge of the season and hopefully challenges, plural, multiple games in that postseason. When we come back, we take a look at Ohio State's chances to win this year's CFP National Championship. You're listening to True Sports. Don't go anywhere. The Ohio State Buckeyes are heavily projected to go undefeated in their final six games of the season, which would put them at 8-0 on the year. Using the current top four college football teams, according to the AP, which means Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, in that order, we're going to look at the chances the Buckeyes have at winning their first national championship since 2015 when they beat the Oregon Ducks. Ohio State is currently ranked third, which means they will play the number 2 Alabama Crimson Tide. Using what you've seen up to this point in the 2020 college football season, can the Buckeyes beat Alabama?
1: That's a really tough question because I think Alabama, honestly, is more dangerous than Ohio, Ohio State on offense. And yeah, they did lose Jalen Waddle, who is arguably the best player in America overall. I really don't know because I think we're going to see the real test when it comes to the School of North because that's still, at the end of the day, a great team with great defense. So I think... We're gonna figure it out, but this Alabama team just it's confusing because I'm not used to seeing a quarterback like Mac Jones on this Alabama team. I'm used to seeing a Tua. I'm used to seeing a Jalen Hurts. I'm not used to him. I think this Alabama team is strikingly good. I, I really don't know where to go with this question because I just see both teams are so balanced at the end of the day. What do you think?
0: It's a it's a very tough question. I, I did give you a hard question because not not to mention you're using two weeks of evidence. You know, against these guys, I think Alabama's played actually a few more games than two. But still, it's a very tough question. Both teams are balanced. And I think that's a compliment to the coaching. You know, Ryan Day and Nick Saban, two of the greatest coaches in college football right now. I can see Ohio State winning the battle on defense. But like you said, Alabama is deadly on offense. I think, and again, once again, taking the easy answer out of this, it all depends on the motivation that they come into the game with. If Ohio State comes out ready to play, the aggressive team that they usually are, then I think they beat Alabama. If they start making early mistakes, especially on defense, and if they can't get their running game going, much less the passing game, I think you're going to see problems. And I think you'll see Alabama come away with that. And same thing with Alabama. If they come in underestimating the Buckeyes, they're going to get rattled. But if they come in knowing that they're a great football team, knowing Ohio State's a great football team and respecting that, But having done their research, having watched the film, having looked at the stats, looked where Ohio State gets the majority of their points, gets the majority of their stops, whether it's on offense or defense, I think if they do their research, which they're likely to do, Alabama will win that. So I can see multiple different pathways in my head, multiple different universes where everything happens. I I can't predict a winner of that either, like you said. If the Buckeyes beat the Crimson Tide, They'll find themselves facing either the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, an opponent they haven't lined up across from since 2016, or they'll find themselves in a rematch against the Clemson Tigers, who beat them last year in the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. Probably, I, I, I love the Irish. I grew up a Notre Dame fan. It's going to be Clemson if it comes to that. I, I can't see the Irish beating Clemson in, in a in a playoff. I, I can see them beating them next week but without Trevor Lawrence, but on a full if a fully stacked. Clemson team goes up against a fully stacked Notre Dame team. Clemson wins that. Can the Buckeyes defeat the Clemson Tigers? I'm just giving you hard questions today. I know, That's I all I'm doing. I, I'm trying to
1: think. I think this year is different than last year. I think no Justin Ross already coming to the season for Clemson was a killer. You're taking away your number one receiver. That's like saying no Chris Olave this year. That, I mean, think about if we had no Chris Olave, It'd just be insane. But I think Ohio State, talent-wise... Everything but the quarterback they Ohio State is better in. No disrespect to Justin Fields. I think that guy is a baller and will do well in life, whether it's just in college and in the NFL. I think Trevor Lawrence is so unbelievably gifted that we haven't seen a quarterback like him in so long. I think, I mean, what Mel Kiper says, they haven't seen a guy this highly rated since Andrew Luck. Obviously, Andrew Luck didn't turn out to be godlike in the NFL, but he's still a great quarterback. I really see that Ohio, this is Ohio State's year if they have to be Clemson. They have not had their luck with Clemson and many orange and fiesta bowls From my knowledge of even Braxton Miller in 2013. They had to play him. I believe Ohio State outmatches Clemson this year.
0: You know, this is kind of like what I talked about with Alabama, as I can see multiple different routes that this goes. I look at the talent that Clemson lost since last year. Now they're down to Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, which is not which is it's still that's a lot of talent just in those two guys. But then you look at what Ohio State, at least in week two, excelled at. That was the run defense. Of course, you could argue Trevor Lawrence's arm, he can make any receiver into a star. But just looking at the star and who the rest, and the who the roster has on it, and who's the big name player on the roster, that's Travis Etienne. They're going to run the ball. Looking at that, and then like I said, the run defense that Ohio State's good at, I can see Ohio State shutting down the Clemson running game. And then it's just up to the secondary, which again, looking back at week two, had a few holes in it. There's a lot of games that need to be played before Clemson, Ohio State could even be played. Like I said, Notre Dame plays Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. So there's a potential that Clemson loses that game and doesn't even make the top four because they'd have a loss then. And this is a very strict, this is a very tough year to make it in if you're not an undefeated team, because like I said, strength of schedule is going to be wonky this year. So I can see the Buckeyes... If that secondary shapes up and if they're disciplined, I can see the Buckeyes beating the Clemson Tigers just because they can shut down that run defense.
1: I think something that's going to be really tough, just stepping away from the Clemson for a second, is well, I'm still staying on Clemson, but not the game, getting into the playoff. Because I don't, if Clemson were to lose this week, I don't know how the committee's going to view it as do we still include them because they have Trevor Lawrence, but they just weren't without him this week and that's why they lost? Or are they going, because I, that playoff will look really weird if it's with Notre Dame, Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State.
0: Yeah, because you're excluding two whole conferences, the Big Twelve and the Pac-12. Nobody's even in it for them. Now, I'm not sure if anybody deserves to be, but I mean, at least with those three teams, it'll just be a Big Twelve, a Big Ten, uh, an ACC, and an SEC playoff. Which, let's be honest, most years it is. I just don't know if Notre Dame's even up for the test against Clemson, even without Trevor. I
1: just, I, I haven't really watched a Notre Dame game this year. I just know about their team a little bit. I don't know if their even talent strikes up because Travis Etienne just broke the ACC's rushing record last week. That that dude's a freak. I don't know where to go with this Clemson team because I don't know how this committee is going to view a Clemson loss and then they go play an the ACC championship. Who are you going to favor? A team that won in the regular season or a team that won the ACC championship? Because those two teams, yes, Trevor is going to be if they end up in the ACC championship, which they most likely will. Yes, Trevor will be there. Trevor won't be there in the Notre Dame game this upcoming week. That's going to be a headache for a lot of people to talk about just who deserves what spot because then that will move up Alabama and Ohio State because if Alabama gets to one spot versus Ohio State, that's either a game versus Clemson or a game versus Notre Dame.
0: Let's get into our agree to disagree question of the day. For new listeners and those who may not be familiar with this segment, JD and I will each have one minute to answer a topic-related question submitted by a member of our audience. Today's question, which college football team is in the best position to sneak into the AP top four? Georgia, I think JD is my pick just because they have the best shot. They do have one loss, but it's the number two, Alabama. I think everything right now depends on this week for Clemson, Notre Dame, Clemson. In a normal year, as I mentioned earlier in the show, Clemson beats Notre Dame, no questions about it. Of course, Notre Dame might put up a little bit of a fight, but it's Clemson that's probably going to get the nod. This year, Clemson is without Trevor Lawrence, their star quarterback. Now all pressure is going to be on Travis Etienne the running back. Now granted he's a star, but can one player put the whole team on his back? We we saw them almost slip up against Boston College last last week. So there's a lot of questions going into this. If Clemson or Notre Dame whoever loses if they got knocked out, BYU could sneak in. BYU is currently number 9, they're undefeated. They've got only one more top 25 opponent um in their last 3 games and that's number 21 Boise State this week who they travel to on the road. I looked at Clemson's schedule. They still could be in with one loss just due to, due to the strength of their schedule. I think if Notre Dame loses this, they're out. Clemson's their only top four opponent. I think Georgia can sneak in too. What do you think, J.D.?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I, I still think that Clemson can get in with um, without uh, being undefeated, and I think that's just because um, the committee does take in injuries into effect. And seeing that Trevor Lawrence missed two games, uh, one being the most important one of the year, uh, you know I, I think that that would be you know good reason to keep them in because I still think even if they do lose in Notre Dame, I still believe that they're one of the four best teams in the nation when fully healthy. Definitely, you and I
0: both agree at least that there's a lot riding on this Clemson Notre Dame game this week. With that, let's get into Swenson's games of the week. There's a lot of good stuff to watch. Give us something to watch on Swenson's games of the week.
2: Uh, well, we already talked about it, the Clemson Notre Dame game. Uh, I don't think this would have been my game of the week uh, if Trevor Lawrence was to be playing. I, I think that it would probably end up being a blowout toward the end, but with DJ Ugalele, I still trust the offense in his hands. I, I thought he looked very impressive um, in that Boston College game. Boston College is a tough team. I don't think people give them a lot of credit, uh, but that's a good team. Uh, I think Notre Dame's actually going to be winning most of the game, but I think that late in the game, I, I think Brett Venables is going to have his defense ready. So I, I do see Clemson winning it, but I think it's going to be really, really tight. Heading over to the NFL, Uh, week one matchup between these two teams brought some exciting game. We really, that's the first time that we doubted Tom Brady and that Buccaneers offense, but he has a chance to redeem himself uh, against the New Orleans Saints, but this time it's in Tampa Bay. I, I think this game's going to be really close. Uh, the Buccaneers kind of tripped up against the Giants. Didn't really look that great, and the Saints came away with a good win versus Chicago, so I, I think the Saints are going to win this game still because I, I think the Drew Brees um, and that offense, they're really out to prove something right now. A lot of people have been doubting them, um, and Alvin Kamara, man, I mean, he is just a force to be reckoned with. Um, so I don't see the Buccaneers um, defense stopping Alvin Kamara. So I think the Saints are going to win.
0: Let us know your thoughts on today's episode on social media at TrueSports underscore pod. There are links to our social media accounts. I mentioned it either last week or a few weeks ago that our social media followers do not match with the amount of people who listen to our show. We'd love to have you guys on social media with us. So make sure you're following at TrueSports underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram. Also, make sure you visit truesportspodcast.com to listen to previous episodes of the show and to read the True Sports blog. There's always something to keep you involved and entertained at truesportspodcast.com. Matt, thanks for coming on. It's been a treat, and we'll have to have you on sometime again in the future.
1: Thank you, Caleb. Thanks for having me. go
0: Bucks For True Sports in Columbus, Ohio at The Ohio State University, I'm Caleb Spinner. I'm
2: Matt Golden, And I'm J.D. Swenson.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next Wednesday. But for now, that's the show. We're out of here.